Hello, everybody. Thanks for tuning in today to the Press Box. This is episode four, Everything But the Kitchen Sink. Your host, Kyle Milligan, here. A lot of talk about today in the world of sports. COVID-19 still in full effect. Some of college football's biggest stars are opting to skip the fall season and begin to prepare for the NFL draft. The Los Angeles Lakers and Milwaukee Bucks both clinched the first seed in the Western and Eastern Conference. MLB is scheduling chaos due to coronavirus outbreaks and inclement weather. And the NFL Top 100 Players was released this week, and Patrick Mahomes isn't one. Stay tuned throughout the episode to find out who is one and hear all about this week's recap of sports. Follow us on Instagram at underscore the press box underscore. See all of our news and follow our latest content. Let's get going. A lot of exciting big news coming in. The NFL Top 100 Players was announced via Instagram this week, and the NFL.com players currently in the league voted themselves. And the top five panned out to be number one, Lamar Jackson, number two, Russell Wilson, number three, Aaron Donald, number four, Patrick Mahomes, and number five, Michael Thomas. All right, with me here I have Coach Cater, Cody, and Troy. Guys, this list is kind of hard to critique because this is made by the players who have these super, who have played these superstars personally. Our perspective is the breakdown of their skills displayed on TV. What is our reaction to this top five list, Cody? The first thing that I was surprised by was that Mahomes, not that he wasn't necessarily the number one player overall, but that he was the third quarterback placed on the list. I mean, Russell Wilson and Lamar Jackson are amazing quarterbacks, but it's kind of difficult for me to say that Mahomes is a worse quarterback than either two of them. So I was really surprised that Mahomes landed as the third overall quarterback throughout the list. In my opinion, Mahomes is way, way too low. I would definitely have him at two. I really don't think Russell Wilson is a top five player. You can argue with me on that one. And, but other than that, I'm, I'm fine with it, with that top five. I wasn't uh, surprised by any of the names that were on the list. I was surprised by the order, as you guys had alluded to already, Mahomes being number four behind a defensive tackle or a D lineman, you know, especially. I mean, Aaron Donald is a special breed of defensive lineman. I think we all know that and can recognize that, but. Behind the D lineman as you're, you're arguably the best quarterback in the league. I was a little surprised at that. Yeah, same. I, I think, to be honest with you, to round out the top five, I think the players are basically correct. I have one out and one in, but uh, we'll get to that a little bit later. I think Lamar Jackson and Russell Wilson are two of the most fun players to watch in the game, and I think players might get caught up with that. I know a lot of D linemen voted on this list and a lot of secondaries. I mean, if we're talking about straight up who's the – hardest quarterback to prepare for I, I understand the mobile quarterback and I think that's why Russell Wilson and Lamar Jackson are one and two because their ability to run the football too. players probably don't like running all around they like getting past the O-lineman and being able to tackle the quarterback and not all the time that's the case with Lamar Jackson and Russell Wilson so I think I think that this has a lot to do with them being mobile I think D-lineman sick of running all over the place I think it's a really hot take though if you're breaking down performance of the NFL QBs and have anyone over Patrick Mahomes to be honest with you Aaron Donald I can't disagree with and Michael Thomas I want to fight for Julio Jones but the numbers just don't lie as of right now and Michael Thomas is the best wide receiver in the league by a pretty big margin So who do we have here for the most talented player in the NFL today, though? I have a very unpopular opinion, I feel, about this one. And I have to say that in my personal belief, it's CMC, Christian McCaffrey. And the reason I say that is because the Panthers' number one option at wide receiver last year, I believe, was DJ Moore. And I don't think I'm wrong, but I believe he had a 1,000-yard season last year. But taking that out of account for it and thinking about the – Carolina offense every single week you have one person that you have to go in and game plan for against Carolina and it's Christian McCaffrey and I have yet to really see anybody stop him (laughs) there might be some teams that keep him within 
100 yards rushing or 100 yards receiving, but I haven't seen a, a defense whose sole objective is to stop that one player, stop that one player yet. So I give the edge to him in that aspect, and I say Christian McCaffrey. In terms of uh, pure talent, I would say Patrick Mahomes. Fundamentally, he he is the most talented quarterback in the league, and it's really not a question. If we're going strictly on talent and talent alone, up until last year, until this individual did what he did at the quarterback position, the most talented player in football is Lamar Jackson. I mean, that doesn't make him the best quarterback, and I'm not saying that he is. As far as the most talent, listen, you generate almost 4,500 yards, and 1,200 of that is on the ground to account for 43 touchdowns. Talent, yeah. Not the best quarterback. Might be the most talented player in the NFL, though. Yeah, so my most talented player is in the NFL is Patrick Mahomes, and I have it by a pretty large margin, to be honest with you. I don't think I've personally never saw a QB step into the league and automatically be in their prime. I just haven't seen it. Patrick Mahomes, ever since he's been in a starter, he's been in his prime. And you can make an argument that his first full-time season as a starting quarterback was the greatest QB season of all time. He had 50 touchdowns and 12 interceptions in 2018. 5,097 yards, and in 2019, he squared it up with 4,031 yards in a Super Bowl. His first season as a full-time starter was ridiculous, and I don't think we've ever seen one like that. I think as soon as he stepped in the league, he had a mindset of, I'm going to be the best in the league, and he's just shown us that. He makes throws that we've never seen before. Sidearm, looking away, I, I just, watching him play is, you, you, you just can't bet against that guy. He's never lost an NFL game by more than seven. His playoff career Stats have just elevated. He's thrown 13 touchdowns and two interceptions. Both both of those two interceptions were against San Francisco in the Super Bowl. I just don't have any player that has more talent than Patrick Mahomes in this league right now. So for our top five list, Cody, you can start us out. If we had to revamp this list a little bit, who are your top five players in the NFL today? After saying I think McCaffrey has the most talent in the NFL, I'm going to stick with him as one, and I mean, it just pretty much like I said, is you got a game plan for one man, and nobody's been able to stop it. And I, I think that truly says something to me is if a defense has one person pretty much to focus on, and they still struggle to stop it, it's it's tough for me to look past that. Patrick Mahomes though is two for me. He he doesn't really fall too far behind from there, and he goes two. From there, I round out with Aaron Donald, Lamar Jackson, and Russell Wilson, because Russell Wilson is the one for me that kind of is he can, but he can't be a top five player. And the reason that I think I people overlook him is because everybody says that he had the defense in his first couple of years when he went to the Super Bowl and he won the Super Bowl and whatnot and everything. But realistically, he had Marshawn Lynch for a couple of years. Chris Carson is just starting to come around. But as far as wide receivers are concerned, he's had Doug Baldwin and now Tyler Lockett starting to come into his own as a 26, 27-year-old, I believe, somewhere mm-hmm. around there. I mean, Russell Wilson's been able to do very consistent things in Seattle when he doesn't necessarily have the highlight wide receiver around him or the big play type guy that everybody's like used to seeing and the Julio Jones type or the Michael Thomas type or even the Mike Evans type. I'm going to sound pretty hypocritical oh, from going back from the last question, but I got Lamar Jackson at one, Patrick Mahomes two, Aaron Donald three, and Michael Thomas four, Christian McCaffrey five. I put Lamar Jackson over Patrick Mahomes mainly because he's an overall better or athlete and he can produce and he's more valuable to his specific team than Patrick Mahomes, mainly because if you take Patrick Mahomes off the Chiefs, they're still a contender, still going to make the playoffs. But if you take Lamar Jackson off of the Ravens, then the Ravens are a four or five win team and they're not even in question. Like he's, he's made, made players so much better around him, um, unknown players. They've, he's made them and look so much better than they actually are. And he's just a lot more valuable. 
I disagree very hard. We'll, we'll, we'll get into that after I make my list. Cater? Coming off of that one, I'm going to have Mahomes at one, arguably the, the best quarterback in the game. I don't think there's question about that. The things he brings to the offense, undeniable. My number two, Christian McCaffrey. I mean, this kid's a weapon. You have to account for him in every single game plan that you put together. The ability to put him in space and make plays is kind of special. I think that's why he slots ahead of Michael Thomas, so I have it three. Um, again, a huge difference maker on the outside, arguably the best wide receiver in the game. You can't cover Mike. Russell Wilson I have is four. The playmaking ability was not the uh, the elite playmaking talent, although their offense is starting to get a little better with the addition of DK Metcalf. And then Aaron Donald, dude's a man. I mean, he, he's double, he's beating double teams for double digit sacks from the D tackle position. I mean, he's just sure power, speed, tenacity. He's got to be in the top five. No doubt. If he's not, I mean, for me, again, a lot of D linemen don't get the credit or the, the notoriety or the public, but he does. So it's not the sexy gets, pick. Yeah. If he gets it, if he gets it, then, you know, he's got to be in the top five game plan wrecker. Yeah, no doubt. I think he's every, well, I'll get into that in my list. So at number one, I have Patrick Mahomes. Troy, we can talk about this in a little bit because I just want to tear you apart. I have Aaron Donald at number two. I, I think defensive line is that second most important position in the uh, league behind quarterback, honestly. I think if you have a pass rusher, I think you are just golden. And Aaron Donald is the best one we have in the league. I think he is what J.J. Watt was in his prime, if not even better. So I think Aaron Donald's headed for the Hall of Fame. He stays where he's at. I have Russell Wilson at number three. I think this guy's a game changer. I think he's better than Lamar Jackson, to be honest with you. I think he's proven more to this point. I don't really want to take a guy that has zero playoff wins and put him anywhere in the top three. Lamar Jackson is great. He's had really good regular seasons. He didn't have a terrible playoff performance last year, but he hasn't won. So until he does that, I'm going to keep him out of my top three. I do have him at number four, though. I think he has a lot of talent. He has a lot of upside He's coached by a very good team. He's got a really good defense behind him. He's got multiple threats in the backfield. He should have a really good year this year, but I don't think he'll be able to get through Mahomes. And I have Christian McCaffrey to round out my five. I don't put Michael Thomas in there. I don't think he is still too far ahead of the other receivers, let alone top five player in the league. I'm I'm just not there with Michael Thomas yet, so I do put Christian McCaffrey at five. Troy, I want to get back to what you said a little bit. Just, <laughs> if... if <laughs> and I, I'd like to hear your guys' opinion on this too. So Troy said that if you take Patrick Mahomes off the Chiefs, they're still a contender. And I think that is absolutely blasphemous. I don't think any other quarterback in the league last year, any other quarterback in the league last year would have won the Super Bowl with that Chiefs team. They were down 24 nothing one game against Houston. And I believe they were down, I think it was 28 to six in one game. So, I don't think any quarterback is remotely close to the amount of talent that Patrick Mahomes has right now. I'm a big Patrick Mahomes guy. And then you said Lamar produces. So what does that mean? Does that mean Patrick Mahomes doesn't produce? What did you mean by that? I, ne- I never said that. Well, you, you told me you told me that if Lamar Jackson, you think Lamar a dismissal of the, Lamar Jackson on the Ravens is a bigger loss than Patrick Mahomes on the Chiefs. Yes. Hot take for a guy that just got five hundred million. But what do you guys think about this? <laughs> I'll go. The one thing that I originally took from it was um, if you take Lamar Jackson off of the Ravens, and the reason that I'd say they'd still they'd still compete for a 
playoff spot is because they are in a division with the Browns and the Bengals, which is four games right there. And because I believe since John Harbaugh has been the Ravens head coach, somebody can stat check me on this. I don't think they've had a losing record since he's been there. And I venture to say that that eight and eight might be their worst record since he's been there. And I want to say he's only missed the playoffs maybe two or three times. With Harbaugh being there, it'd be tough for me to. Granted, the Ravens' backup quarterback is Robert Griffin III, and Dad, being a Washington football team, can attest to no, no, it's the, the glory days. Of, <laughs> the glory days of that, but I don't know because the Chiefs' backup quarterback is what Chase Daniel. He had to come in and play two games last year against Thanks, the Packers. And the Vikings. He beat the Vikings, but he lost to the Packers at home on Arrowhead. And I want to say that if Mahomes plays that game, they're probably beating. They're probably beating the Packers down because I think I hold on. I have it in front of me. They only lost by a touchdown. It was a 31-24 game at Arrowhead. And I, yeah. I don't know. That's a, that's a tough one. I'd like yeah. to say that the Ravens are probably they're probably both on equal ground. Where they're probably still going to both contend for playoff spots, in my opinion, if you take either of those quarterbacks off. But Super Bowl is not even close. I don't think either of them would contend for that. Cater, I'll let you chime in here before we move on. I'm going to look at it this way. I mean, if you're comparing Mahomes to and Jackson, if you think Mahomes is off the Chiefs, they don't compete. And you know, what happens if you were to switch quarterbacks? The, the Chiefs don't win the Super Bowl with Lamar Jackson at quarterback, especially down in the fourth quarter, the way they were. You know, some of the plays that Mahomes made late in the fourth every playoff get them game. back. You know, it's pretty special. And I would almost get, I would almost venture to say that if you put Patrick Mahomes in Baltimore, Baltimore would automatically become a Super Bowl favorite in the AFC simply just because of Mahomes. Now that's not saying Jackson can't play football. Jackson obviously has demonstrated that he's very talented and I think the best days of him are ahead. What happens when he doesn't have to run as much and can develop into a passer? But right now, I don't see him being on level with Mahomes, and Jackson doesn't win the Super Bowl. So I would think that that, what you say, Kyle, is a little more realistic. And something, you know that I I mean. for, something I forgot about, too, was in those playoff games that Mahomes just went through to win the Super Bowl, he was losing by double digits, I'm pretty sure, in every single one of those games. I mean, the, the first game, he was down, what, 24 nothing to the Texans? And that's right. when you really need to rely on arm talent and really, really need to rely on your quarterback to throw the ball 35, 40 times in a game to get you the victory. And that's the one thing that I've been saying about Lamar Jackson is if you want him to drop back and throw the ball 35 to 40 times to win you a football game, I don't think he's capable of doing it. Troy, I'll let you have last word here. Move on. there's been a lot of talk in regards to the new england patriots this offseason many new concerns approaching bill belichick and his organization whether it has to do with all their players opt-outs the absence of tom brady and the presence of cam newton there's a buzz question still going on since the day the patriots signed former mvp quarterback and cam newton some saying he will fit belichick's system and some say he will not cody will cam newton fill in okay in the patriot way the big thing for me is Cam is two very different people when he is winning football games and when he is losing football games. And the one thing that I'm skeptical about is that he's coming off of throwing arm shoulder surgery, which means that he, no, I, I don't think no matter what he does and no matter what preparations he's made, he's not going to be the same Cam Newton that we've seen in the past because that is such a vital part of being a quarterback is being able to throw the football. And if you have shoulder surgery, I mean, that's like the elbow surgery back in, the day for baseball players is like, I don't know, that's tough. That is where I kind of sit with him. If they're winning football games, I think Belichick is going to be able to look past some of the things like his post-game outfits and all that and whatnot and not really see it as a distraction. But the one thing I will say is, is if Cam starts kind of losing football games, 
and his press conferences kind of go in the direction that his press conferences have gone in the past when he loses football games. There's times that he will take the blame. There's times he won't. And there's times that he kind of goes at his coaching staff too. And that's something that I don't think Belichick's really going to sit there for. And they're not really paying him a whole lot this season. So it's going to be one of those things I think Belichick is going to maybe get him to understand is like, listen, you're going to do what I'm telling you to do, or you're going to be sitting on the bench and then nobody's going to pick you up next year. So this is your prove it year. Shut your mouth and play football. Yeah, I, I agree with uh, Cody. At first, I think he is going to struggle a little bit. The Cam Newton doesn't really fit in, like, mesh well with uh, the Patriots' offense. It all comes down to if he's willing to adjust his play style. It'll really come down to if he's willing to learn. And if he is, then I think that they can be successful. I'd be inclined to say yes, simply if he's looking at it from a business perspective alone. Cam realizes that this is a one-year deal. And this might be his last chance to prove to the league that he could be a starter and maybe potentially gain another contract somewhere, maybe in New England, maybe somewhere else. However, having watched Cam in certain press conferences and stuff like that, when Cody and Troy both have alluded to, they don't play well. How's he going to handle players or coaches who question his play? Because you know that's going to happen in New England with Belichick can remember Brady going on record saying he's been chewed out multiple times after poor play in front of the team. Now you're chewing out Tom Brady in front of the team and you think you're not going to do that to Cam. No, those right. two individuals are two different quarterbacks. One obviously a lot more mental toughness than the other one has shown. So my question leads me to say no because of that aspect of Belichick alone saying, hey, do your job. You know, how's yeah. he going to handle it? And, I don't think Cam has really handled that in the past, and he's exhibited that at, at multiple press conferences. Ryan Clark said on Get Up yesterday, he said, Cam Newton built that house for the Panthers. He built that house in Carolina. Now, Bill Belichick has created a mansion in New England. Cam Newton's moving out of his house. He's staying in a guest bedroom in New England. I think when we talk about the Patriot way, the first thing that comes to my mind is winning. The second thing that comes to my mind is Bill Belichick's famous quote, do your job. So if Cam Newton's willing to do his job, be a quarterback and go out and win games, and he's willing to win, there's no way that this couldn't work out. And Troy, I want to get at your point a little bit. You said you don't think Cam Newton fits into this offense. Well, let me tell you something. The quarterback position is the most important position by far on an offense. And an offense will adapt to the quarterback. The quarterback does not adapt to an offense. So this is not going to be the same offense we're accustomed to seeing with the Patriots. This offense is going to be different, whether Bill Belichick wants that or not. Cam Newton and Tom Brady are two completely different quarterbacks, and the offense will be different. It's not going to be the same team. If Cam is a sponge in New England, wants to win, and works hard, I think this will work out. So, Cody, are the Patriots still your favorite in the AFC East? Despite all the (laughs) – I have a lot of friends who bet on football, and I have a lot of friends who scream about the Patriots. The golden rule that they've developed, I guess, in the past five years or so or whatnot, no matter what, do not bet against (laughs) Bill Belichick. Not necessarily the Patriots. Don't bet against Bill Belichick, and that's the tough part for me. I know I have all these players opting out, and they just lost Tom Brady, who's been their focal point for 20 years, but if Bill Belichick's there, it's really tough for me to pick against the Patriots, no matter what Buffalo's doing, and I mean... Miami's Miami and the Jets are, yeah, that, yeah, the Jets are Jets. So, I mean, it's real tough for me to pick against Belichick in that division, even though the Bills have been making big strides, I think, but 
it's it's tough for me. I still got to take the Patriots as long as Belichick is there. The Buffalo Bills are my favorite in the uh, AFCs. The Bills and Patriots—they're definitely gonna be fighting for that one and two spot all season long. That's that's a given. But the Bills are a very well-rounded team. I'll make the argument that they are more well-rounded, especially now that they just had that new pickup in uh, Stefan Diggs, who I think can really mesh well with their with their offense and really play their game. I'm going to go along with what Troy had to say. I think the Bills, for me, are the favorites um, simply because of what they've got building there in the last couple of years since McDermott's taken over. thought Allen made pretty good strides last year. They did some nice things in the in the off season to, you know, to help out the offense, um, you know, losing digs. Yeah, that's a tough loss. Um, but I think, you know, maybe they you know, a little more of an emphasis on the run game. You know, they drafted the Moss kid out of Utah who they can, you know, pair with Singletary. They had a pretty decent offensive line that they're looking to, to get stronger. If Buffalo stays healthy, again, getting back to your previous question, I'm not sure the, the Newton thing pans out in New England. And you're going to go to Stid, Jake, uh, Jared Stidham, um, who, you know, obviously New England likes, but I think Buffalo, if they stay healthy, defensive side of the ball, Edmonds is a beast. They get Tredavious White patrol in the secondary. If Buffalo, Buffalo stays healthy, if, if Buffalo stays healthy, New England's reign is over. Yeah, I actually just did some research on ESPN, and it looks like Stephon Diggs is kind of still up in the air. There's reports that he is opting out. There's reports that he's actually not opting out on pretty successful and reliable sources, too, ESPN.com and The Athletic. So who really knows about Stephon Diggs? But with Stephon Diggs or without, I'm with Cody here. I'm not betting against the Patriots. I just won't. I can't bet against the Patriots until they prove me wrong. No one has won that division since 2008. They've won the past 16 of 17 years. You can't tell me that's all on Brady. They lost Brady, but they're they're in a division that they just succeeded. Like hands down, have been the best team for the past 20 years. What team in the AFC East can, or I'm sorry, has an offense to score against the Patriots' defense? I just don't. I just really don't see a quarterback that can lead their team to score against one of the best defenses in the NFL. So the big question is, will they have Stephon Diggs or will they not? I think that might be a very big key into whether the Bills can contend for an AFC's. I want to piggyback on that, Kyle, because you you brought something up with uh, the Patriots' defense. It's something that I just remembered. I believe I saw it from Bleacher Reporter somewhere forever ago, but Josh Allen, I believe, has been a starter for two years and has yet to throw for more than 250 or 275 yards. It's one of the two of them in a game in just about two full seasons. I mean, yeah, he runs the ball a lot and he runs the ball effectively, but like you just alluded to, is it if you're going to beat the Patriots, you still have to put points up on Belichick and the Patriots, and Belichick is that evil mastermind when it comes to defense. So, Right, and, and I think right away you can make an argument that the Patriots still have the best quarterback in this division. It's, I mean, we haven't seen Cam Newton in three years, but there's not a quarterback that has proven more than he has in this NFL league, so I, I, I'm just not ready to bet against them. So college football stars Mika Parsons, linebacker from Penn State, and Rashad Bateman, wide receiver from Minnesota, both very likely first-round picks in the 2021 NFL Draft, have decided to opt out of the 2020 to 2021 college football season due to coronavirus. Will both begin to prepare for the draft? UConn announced yesterday that the first FBS school to cancel football season. What is your reaction to this, guys? Does this make you worried or more worried about this year's college football season? It makes me more worried, and I've been worried kind of from the start. It's I, I, I've been worried because each 
Power Five conference has kind of been governing themselves, and they've been placing how they're going to play this season. And we know as college football fans, we love college football, but at the end of the day, you you want to see somebody hoist up a trophy. And with all the Power Five conferences kind of, it seems like not really communicating their thoughts and what they want to do as far as the whole plan of this is. I understand they're all saying they're going to play inter interconference schedules, and Notre Dame's already been added to a, like a full ACC schedule because of that. And there's odds on them now to win the ACC championship, but to get all of that and to get the Power Five conferences to kind of cohesively get in on a college football playoff is I'm very skeptical of, and I'm actually really nervous for the college football season as we come up on it. Yeah, this makes me extreme, extremely worried and extremely nervous, mainly because if college football is some of their best players start opting out, then it might even just start a trend of more and more players starting to opt out, say, screw this, I'm not going to get myself sick when I'm already almost guaranteed an NFL, NFL spot. I'm very, very nervous about this season and, and who's going to play and who's not. Yeah, it definitely makes you worry. You know, with your top players opting out to prepare for the draft. I mean, is it a, the question I ask, is it, is it a one year kind of thing or are we going to start having this happen more and more often with players trying to prevent? Cause you've seen it happen in the last handful of years with bowl games where players opt not to play because of the, draft coming up and they're preparing themselves. Although I, I can't necessarily blame them, but it definitely does have me concerned about the how many more kids are going to follow this path and what right. does that do to competition in football. You make a really good point there about it too because it's not just about coronavirus either. It's just this has been a thing that's been happening for years and players now are starting to get an idea of maybe you know we're not getting paid here, so let's – Let's prepare it because a lot of these kids come from areas where they need money and, and whatever they can do to assure that their livelihood is going to be in good hands, then they're going to do that. And opting out is a very popular choice for this. So I think it's very smart for some of these players. The risk is way higher than the reward. Penn State, I'm a, I'm a big Penn State fan. Seeing Mika Parsons go is kind of tough. He's the leader of our defense, one of the best players in college football this year. Mm-hmm. You don't want to see guys like that go, but f- for their personal, it's it, it's it's smart for them. It's, prepare yourself to get get your uh, money in the NFL business. So it's pretty scary how college football or college sports has become a business, huh? Yeah, I'm worried about it. I really, I think, I think we see a whole lot more of this too sooner rather than later. So the MLB is in full swing. It is on the run adjusting to coronavirus cases and rescheduling like crazy to catch up due to a few outbreaks within clubhouses in the league. Guys, we talked last week about our worries about this year's season. Do you see the MLB being able to finish the season if there is no bubble implemented for the regular season or playoffs? Yes and no. I'm worried because, like we talked about last week, the fail-safes kind of haven't really been there at all. It really seems like they're kind of just waiting for something to come their way, and then they're going to pick it up and roll with it in the week and figure it out in the week that it happens, and that's kind of scary to think about, and it makes me think that we're not going to be able to trudge through this. But the bubble idea is extremely difficult, I think, for Major League Baseball to pull off. Um, A lot of people have said, like, you're just going to bring them to Arizona or Florida, and I understand that. Those are two hotspots, and they're also quite literally two hotspots. Florida or Arizona's getting 114-degree heat, and as much as you love baseball, you're you're still risking a little bit of heat stroke going out there and playing at 114 degree heat. But 
I think that they can just trudge through with what they've been doing so far, but they have to kind of expect more things to happen and more things to come their way, and they have to figure out a better way to combat it. If there's no bubble implemented or even just, like, stricter stricter rules on proper protocols you have to follow or safety thing, I don't see the season continuing for much longer, mainly because you're just going off the honor system and putting a lot of trust in these players to do the right thing. And there will be player some players on every team or most teams who just don't follow the rules, and it'll ruin it for everyone. And you won't know just until it's too late and it's already spread. It's throughout half the league. The bubble, even though it will be difficult to pull off just because it's a way bigger league than the NBA is, is I think it would help them get through the entire year, no worries. I'm going to have to say that I do believe that the season continues. I do believe that there was a report out there at some point this week that the MLB is doing some investigating on how to implement some new safety protocols to to all 30 Major League Baseball teams. Some of those things that I read, I believe the guy's name is Jared Diamond who wrote it, you know, your traveling parties are going to be obviously reduced to essential people only. You know, home teams are going to have to provide places in case of rain delay to, to socially distance. I believe I read somewhere that there was going to be a compliance officer assigned to each team. So if that and when and any individual on the team wanted to leave that hotel, they had to have permission to go where they were going. Now, with that being said, how many 15-year veterans – and a Major League Baseball team are going to want to call room 204 and say, hey, listen, I need to go here. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, again, I think the rules that Major League Baseball is trying to implement to, to, to make sure that the season continues has to be followed by the players. You know, I don't believe there's an agreement in that yet. I don't know if it's they're trying to where they stand actually in that process, but I've read somewhere if the individuals who flagrantly violate these rules could be suspended for the year. Again, there's no agreement in place, but that would be one of the ways I think the season might be the only way the season gets on. We can't have what we've had in the last you know, week with scheduling because at some point you're going to get to September and you're not going to have time to reschedule those games. And, and then what happens? So, listen, if you guys want to play the season, you got to do what you got to do to make sure the season's played. Cater, could you imagine standing in front of Giancarlo Stanton and telling him he wasn't allowed to leave the hotel? <laughs> uh, no, you know it's it's funny. It reminds me of a time, believe it or not. It's just gonna I'm gonna bring back some like old school information for me. When I was playing at St. Rose, I was a little older than the kids that I was going to school with at that point because I had just decided to go back to school later. And I believe we were playing in Georgetown one time. And me and I think a couple of my roommates were wandering around the halls checking out the you know the, the school. And one of our assistant coaches comes up and goes, "Hey, uh, um, whatever you want to call it, curfew is in like ten minutes. Make sure you're in your rooms and get out of there." Now at this point, I'm probably 25 or 26. My assistant coach or my the assistant coach for the program was two years younger than I was. <laughs> so he was telling me I was two years older than him. He was a kid. Yeah, you got to get in your room in 10 minutes. You knew he was two years younger than I was. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, again, they're going to have to follow the rules if they want the season to continue and to get, you know, to chase that, that World Series. I can see this season finishing if players are responsible and held accountable. However, I think the MLB could have implemented a bubble. It would have took a lot of preparing, and it was kind of rushed. I think this process – I think we'd, it would be a lot more successful now if the players and – ownership and front office had 
a better relationship and we could have figured out the money logistics quicker than it would have gave us more time to, you know, prepare for how to handle this virus that's going around too. But they're more worried about the money and obviously it is a business, but at the same time, it's going to be affected because of the lack of prepare, prep, uh, sorry, preparation. So uh, I'm not, I'm not sure. I think we will be able to finish the season. I think we could have had a bubble. I think we can still have a bubble when the playoff time. I think it would be a little difficult, but guess what? We're in the middle of a pandemic. 2020 is difficult, so that's just how things are right now. So, you know, you could have split up each division into a bubble and had that be that. You don't need to put the whole league in Florida, but the whole league in Arizona. We've seen the NBA be very successful. They've had, I think, four whole COVID tests now, like big COVID tests, and they've got every single one of their players have tested, haven't tested positive. So I think that's a really good sign, and I think we should be taking note of that. All right, it's pretty crazy to think that we are about a quarter of the way finished with this year's regular season up to this point, Cody. What has surprised you most about the 2020 MLB season? Donovan Solano. (laughs) Simply put, Donovan Solano. He did not play in Major League Baseball at all in 2017 or 2018. He is 32 years old. He played half a season with the Giants last year and hit 330, sure, but he is hitting 465 right now. He's not going to keep that pace up. I said last week that we're not going to have a 400 hitter in all Major League Baseball, even if it is 60 games. But the fact that he, at 32 years old and was out of baseball for two years, is currently hitting 465 for the Giants through 12 games is baffling to me. And if anybody had told me that before the season, I will, I would have told them they're not from this planet. <laughs> For me, most surprising thing is uh, the Angels, and more importantly, Shohei Otani's extremely slow start. Angels fans were coming into this season kind of expecting him to be their top dogs, have him eat up innings and pitch great, but he was—he's been quite brutal, and then he just get—he got shut down. So it's that's what really surprised me. I thought he was going to have a pretty good season on the bump as well. So. How about the Astros' inability to hit? <laughs> no, just kidding. Um, in all honesty, <laughs> in all honesty uh, how about the Baltimore Orioles? I, I mean, they're coming off back-to-back 100-plus losses. I think in one of those years, they lost 113 games, being 5-7 and seven after 12. All right, yeah, it's a losing record. But if I'm not mistaken, I think they're like, what, in second place behind the Yanks right now? Good young talent. Actually, watched them play the Yankees in a, in a series. Uh, they got some good young kids who can swing the sticks. I don't think they're going to be a World Series contender, but they got a chance to make the playoffs this year, guys. <laughs> yeah. So. And I, so, I mean, I know that sounds crazy, but in light <laughs> of where we are in 2020, you know, I, I might be able to explain some things later on down, but I don't know. I don't know about that, but maybe. Yeah, well, your first answer, I think, was the most fun. I, I, I do love seeing the Astros struggle. I, Jose Altuve this year, 192. So that that's not great for him, especially when his career batting average, I think, is all the way to, let's see, 313 right now. So, yeah, I, I love seeing Jose Altuve struggle. I, I think he's a, I think he's a bum without the cameras. So, <laughs> just, <yeah. laughs> no. In all reality, I think the the thing that's been most surprising to me so far is the extra innings play. So I, I, I think the whole leading the man on second base, I thought we would have been seeing a lot more small ball, but we just haven't. The managers are still coaching, managing their players to assure they are the most comfortable. They don't want guys going out of the way to beat the shift. And, 
you know, we're, we're going to go into extra innings and we're going to try to hit a single to get that guy in. There's been a lot less small ball than I thought there would be in a 60-game season. Cody, what is the biggest key to winning the World Series this year for all ball clubs? Health and depth. <laughs> if you don't have the former, you better have the latter. The healthier teams are going to be the ones, I mean, the, the teams that aren't really stricken by COVID or injuries or anything. In a 60-game season, you've got your first real, like, it's a sprint in Major League Baseball. So the healthier teams are going to be the ones that probably win the most games. And if you're not as healthy, then teams like the Yankees or the Braves or whatnot who have the depth to bring up and whatnot. Because, I mean, Soroka just went down for the Braves, but their pitching and their farm system is absolutely littered with guys in arms. So, they, I mean, the depth there is if you don't have health, you better have depth. And if you don't have either, then, good God, it's going to be a long 60 games. <laughs> yeah, health is going to be a big factor on them, as well as a, a deep bullpen. I've said this before, but if you have multiple starters who can go six, seven in innings every time they go out and pitch, or most of the time, with relievers and closers who can finish the game for you, then you have a great shot at being successful this season just because you can mow teams down and you could have – you don't have to rely solely on your hitting lineup. Obviously, health, as you know, Cody and Troy have alluded to, healthier teams win. Little thing is, how about the trade line, uh, the trade deadline activity? Uh, you have 16 of your 30 teams making the playoffs this year. Some of those teams that might have been sellers around the trade deadline now, all of a sudden, may become buyers. So that now, all of a sudden, muddies the water, so to speak, when how many teams are actually active at the deadline and whether they're buying and selling instead of competing with two teams for a player, you might be competing with four or five. Uh, that That's going to play a role in the who makes the playoffs potentially, obviously outside of the health factor that we've all made we've been aware of. So that yeah. should be interesting with more teams making the playoffs because your division winners, your second place teams are automatically in. And then you've got your seventh and eighth place teams in each league get to the playoffs. <laughs> Hence, that's why I said potentially the Baltimore Orioles making the playoffs because of the potential of how many more teams are in it. Maybe there's maybe they're buyers this year. Yeah, I think the key to winning is staying healthy. Top of the line aces is a very big key factor to winning it all this season. You got guys like, you know, Max Scherzer and Strasburg. I think that's a really big one-two punch. Got to keep those guys healthy. Play like every game is the playoffs. Sixty-game season. You gotta. Got to play like every single game's your last because, like you said, any team can win it, and because of that, go hard or go home. 26-year-old two-way player Shohei Otani was shut down pitching this season, announced by the new skipper of the Los Angeles Angels, Joe Madden. Otani struggled to break 90 miles per hour in his latest outing. So he will finish the season from the bump at two games, 1.2 innings pitched, three hits, eight walks, and three strikeouts. No bueno. If you're in charge of this decision concerning Otani's future, Cody, with the Los Angeles Angels, what would be your plan for Otani? The same plan that I had in place for him when he came over to the league. I, I've been saying since he came over, there is no way he's going to be able to do both. They're, they are just two very different. Once you get to that level, it's two very different regiments. And to keep them both on top and keep them both above par, it just it's, it's a workload I don't really think anybody can manage. I've been saying since he came over, you need to... You need to look at him in the face and tell him, listen, you are more valuable to us as a pitcher. The Los Angeles Angels need pitching. They have the best player in baseball, and they need something that's going to go out there and not put up six runs a game against them. Something. And Otani looks like he can be that, but it seems that he's focusing on pitching this day, and then the next two days he's in the cage hitting, and then he's throwing a bullpen that fourth day. And it's, it's get him on track with one thing, 
sit him down, tell him, I know you're not going to want to hear it, and I know you really want to do this, but we want to win baseball games. And the, the, the way for us to do that is to solo you off and make you a pitcher so that you can go out and dominate for 30-some-odd starts a year like he has the stuff to do. I, I think they just need to one-track mind him, tunnel vision. Yeah, I would have done the same thing with shutting him down for the time time being. I don't think it should have been for the entire season, but definitely for the near future. But I would definitely get him in the gym and in the bullpen and have him really focus on pitching and his mechanics and correct as many errors as he has and really just get his mindset and say, be done with hitting. You're good at it, but we need you more as a pitcher. You're more valuable as a pitcher. For the rest of the, for the remainder of the season, I'd make him the full-time DH. Uh, let the arm coming off Tommy John. Sometimes it takes a year plus to get command back. And obviously, he didn't exhibit any of that in reference to the eight walks he had in an inning and two-thirds. Or Even though the playoff system is a little different this year and you might want to think you need him on the hill to get to, that, to get to those playoffs, in all honesty, the way the playoffs, again, are formatted, I don't know if Anaheim has the horses in the, the other two spots to get them out of the first round anyways or any even out of the division series. So if you're looking at him, what's best for your organization and for him, which I believe is to be a full-time pitcher because he has the stuff to be a develop into an ace you give him the rest of this season off to let his arm rebound you know and maybe he throws bullpens on the sides later in the season to stay sharp and get himself ready for next year but listen the angels aren't winning a world series this year regardless with the, the way the playoffs are formatted so for me and if you want if you pay him to be your ace you got to give him that time for the rest of the year because like i said they're not winning a world series Shohei Otani has to be an everyday hitter for the rest of the year. I think they've made that clear, and he will be their full-time DH. I think I honestly think that there is a way to do both. It is very challenging, but I think there is a way. But I don't think there's a way to be a starter and an everyday hitter. I think he's either got to go to a bullpen pitcher, he's got to be a reliever, or he's got to be a full-time starter without hitting. So he can do both, but he can't be a starter and an everyday hitter. He's got to be a reliever and an everyday hitter. He has a career batting average of 281, 23 stolen bases, and 43 home runs. You just don't want to shut a guy full-time down that, that hits like that, especially with you, you need more power lefties in that lineup, and it's just it's just someone that you really don't want to take the bat of the hands of him. So can he hit and pitch in the same game if he's a reliever? Yes, I think it is possible. It's less bullpens. It's less preparing, and you can go out on any given day. You don't have to think about, you know, I, okay, I got four days to hit, and then, no, you know, I might go out there and pitch today and hit. So go out and get a starter this offseason and try to get Shohei into a reliever would be my plan. With almost one-fourth of this MLB regular season behind us, what team are you expecting a lot more out of for the rest of the way, Cody? I'm going to go two central teams. I'm going to go the Cardinals. We haven't seen them play a whole lot, and Goldschmidt's looked good to start the season so far, I'd say. And I've been on them since the beginning, so I'm going to continue on them, and I'm going to say the Chicago White Sox. The only thing that I think they need to continue to work on and maybe get something around the trade deadline would be some bullpen help. They've got a couple arms out there that are good, the bummer kid, Steve Shizak, Colum A, we know what he is, but I think the White Sox have underperformed so far, being close to 500. Uh, the Tampa Bay Rays, they have to play better on the road. They're 0-5 on, on the year when not playing at home. If they want to live up to the expectations that were placed on them and really compete with the Yankees and top dog teams, they have to be able to play out of their element. I'm going to piggyback off of what Troy just said and go with the Rays, with their two, especially their two starters at the beginning of the rotation, and Morton and Snell both having an ERA over five. 
their starting pitching needs to get better to contend. Yeah, I also have the Rays, so yeah, they have a good, they have a good rotation. They got a they got a solid lineup, but guys have to step up. They got a 0-5 record on the road, like Troy said, and they got swept by the Orioles. That's just not acceptable. I know it's a short season, and Cater, you made a point that they can make the playoffs, but I don't care. You can't get swept by the Orioles, not with that rotation. I agree. Coach I'm glad Cater. I went different then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Coach Cater and Cody, I want to thank you guys again for being here. You're much appreciated, and always give us a good time here. Stay safe and go Yanks. Absolutely. For having Pleasure us, for having us. Take care, guys. Los Angeles Lakers and Milwaukee Bucks both clinched first seeds with their respective conferences. With Without fans and being in Orlando, it obviously takes home court advantage out of the equation. Troy, how important or how less important does this make this year's NBA seeding for the playoffs? Well, NBA seeding is always going to be important. You want that higher seed so you can get a better first-time matchup. But with home court advantage, advantage out of the picture right now, those lower seeds actually have an advantage, and it really doesn't make the lower seeds as important because they don't have to start on the road, and you can play on even turf. And I think something like that is going to set up a major first-round upset. So for lower seeds, as long as you're in the playoffs and you have that seventh or eighth seed, I think the seeding is really not, not as important as in years prior. Yeah, make a really good point there. I think we do see some more upsets this year. It will be fun to watch. I hope and pray that it's not the Lakers. I think seeding is still very important. Like you said, it's the matchup-wise. Lakers locking up the one seed is big because they need as less stressful of a path to the Western Conference Finals as they can get. Lakers also need the Clippers to clinch the two seeds so that they don't see them until the Western Conference Final. That's a really big key for them, too. So the 76ers announced Ben Simmons suffered a partially dislocated kneecap this past Wednesday. He reported to be out indefinitely. Troy, Philadelphia was your favorite to challenge the Bucks anyway in the Eastern Conference. What does this mean for the 76ers title hopes? Along with me sounding like an idiot from last episode, this is a huge bummer for 76ers fans. And this definitely could have been their year to go deep in the playoffs, not really win a championship, but they definitely could have made a solid run. But without Ben Simmons, I don't see how they can compete with any top team. They simply just don't have enough scorers, and their defense without Ben is extremely weak. Well, what it means for the 76ers' titles hopes is that they're gone. They're, they're irrelevant. Yes. It's done. Either They're yep. either going to get Boston or Miami. They won't be able to guard forwards on either team. Joel Embiid has to play like not only the best center in the league, but he has to play like an MVP caliber player, and you can't put that much pressure on him because we haven't seen him play like an MVP yet. We've seen glimpses, but we haven't seen a sustainable whole game or even, you know, we haven't seen that. So I don't think we will see that. Tobias Harris is going to show up. He's going to ball. He's a baller, but not enough depth on that team to – do anything without their uh, leader in Ben Simmons. All right, we got enough time to take one call in here. Here's Nick Brazell from Coes, New York. Hi, Kyle. Nick here. My question is, do you think that this is the make-or-break year in Buffalo for Josh Allen if he's unable to produce the numbers that the Bills think he can? Well, Nick, really good question. I, th- I don't think this is the make-or-break year for Josh Allen, and mostly because he hasn't really had much promising things. I mean, he, he is a very good runner, and he, Cody alluded to the fact earlier that he hasn't passed for over 250 yards in a game yet. That's not good. His completion percentage is one of the lowest in the league year after year. I don't think he is your future quarterback. When we talk about a make-it-break-it year, you better show up. I just I just don't see him. I don't see a make-it-break-it year happening for him because I don't think he's your quarterback anyway. If you guys get a good pick or a mid-round pick, you guys are going to try to – trade up, and go get someone within the near future. I don't think Josh Allen's your guy. However, the Bills are a very good team, well-rounded, and they will compete this year and try to win that division. But it won't be because of Josh Allen. 
All right, I wanted to implement something here at the end of each episode, an athlete quote of the week. There's only one way to start this tradition out. This week's quote of the week on episode four, Everything But the Kitchen Sink, is one of, of the all-time greats. Kobe Bryant once said, once you know what failure feels like, determination chases success. All right, that's going to wrap things up for us here on the Press Box episode four, Everything But the Kitchen Sink. Thank you all for joining us. Let's keep this thing rolling. The slow grind continues. Love you guys. See you soon. Peace.